You know, Julianne, here's the thing. You know, before you went dead silent for the last four weeks, you dropped these texts. I don't want to talk about the relationship stuff, but here's what's troubling me and here's what's the... You know, that's just so not fair. You get to speak your piece, but you effectively shut everyone else down. That's so not fair. And now I'm in hell, wondering what the fuck happened to our friendship, friendship being the operative word. Julianne, what the fuck? I didn't do anything wrong. My crime was getting sick. And you making assumptions of words that I said to you in a very, very high stress situation that were said to you, the love I was speaking of that I feel for you is friendship love. But you make these wild assumptions, goddammit, and then you say I'm disrespecting you as a lesbian, which is bullshit. That is utter bullshit. And you know that. And if you don't know that and you actually think that I disrespected you as a lesbian, which is utterly ridiculous, then it's not fair that I don't get a chance to speak. You do this. You've done this to me too many times before. You don't like how something's going or it doesn't fit with the narrative in your head. You get vicious and you just push people away. But you made a stink about saying you'd make a point of not pushing people out of your life. You are so full of shit! <sighs> yeah, you know what? The friendship still means something to me. It does. But I'm slowly realizing maybe you're not who I thought you were. Maybe you are a user, a taker, a manipulator. Maybe Ethan's parents aren't wrong. Maybe Ethan's not wrong. I don't want to believe that, Julianne. I really, truly do not want to believe that. I want to believe in you. I want to believe in our friendship. And what you said, and what we said, is really going to bear fruit. But how can I continue to believe that when I am not allowed to speak? And you yet get to drop these text bombs saying, I don't want to talk about anything, but here, this is what, blah, 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 blah. so unfair. So unfair. And I fucking miss you. I miss the friendship. I miss the kids. And it's so not fair. Julianne, for once, think of somebody other than yourself. So, you know, Julianne, I have to ask, you know, what, what is going on? Why this cutoff of all communication? You've jumped to some major assumptions. You really did. You, you, you've jumped to some conclusions that aren't real. You've made assumptions that I'm being punished for that aren't real that I don't even get a chance to defend myself from. You know, about a month ago when you dropped those texts saying, I don't want to talk about the relationship stuff, but here's what's troubling me, and I just, you know, I don't want to talk. That's so not fair, Julianne. Why do you get to drop your little bombs and get and say your piece, but I don't get to? I'm respecting your wishes. I'm giving you space. 
So I'm a good man. I'm a good human being. But Juliana, enough of this. It's hurting me. I don't want to believe the worst about you, but without communication and being kept in the dark, Julianne, what options do I have but to believe that you view me as some bastard or some bad guy? And you know, you claimed I disrespected you as a lesbian. That is such bullshit. I've talked to a lot of gay women over this past month, and I've been very careful in the wording that I have used when talking to them so I don't bias their answers. I wanted the reality. And I told them of the situation. What happened? You leaving me and abandoning me after anesthesia and basically saying, good luck, drive home. And abandoning me in the hospital. And then cutting off all communication. All because when I was going in for a CT scan for checking on pancreatic cancer, when I had brain wave patterns that were being disrupted because of Lyme disease. It was a perfect storm. I was scared and I was afraid that I might not come out of the hospital, whether that's dramatic or not. That was the reality. And I wanted to tell you how much I loved you as a friend. It was not romantic love I was talking about. And you jumped to these assumptions and you didn't give me any chance. And then you claim I disrespected you as a lesbian. Well, every lesbian woman I have talked to, every one of them, and I've talked to quite a few in this last month, every one of them has said that's insane. They've all agreed that I did not disrespect anyone as a lesbian and that you overreacted and are overreacting. And yet I don't get a chance to speak I'm kept in the dark, and you've said so many things to me over this last year and a half, so many things, and I buy into it. And the one thing I still believed was, you know, we have to take a few weeks for healing, and we'll get back to a good place. Yet, Juliet, what evidence is there of that? When I don't see you doing a goddamn thing. When I don't hear anything. I've done what you've asked me to do, as I always have. And I, you know, Julianne, without knowing anything, that's cruel. But you've lashed out and been vicious with me on so many occasions. All because, from what I can see, it's because something didn't fit the narrative in your head. And you get vicious when that happens. And you do create these self-narratives. You make this up in your head. And you get vicious when it doesn't go precisely how you want it to go. You've lashed out at me so many times. And I wanted to believe the best of you. So I sucked it up. I took it. And it hurt every time you did it. But I'm thinking you really do care about me as a friend. You really cherish this. You really love me as your best friend. Your soul sibling. But, Juliette, what evidence is there of this? You've cut me off from you, the kids. After I fell in love with all of you. And you knew that. So why would you do something so deliberately cruel? What is in your head? You have said you make it a point of not pushing people out of your life. Well, Juliet, all I've seen you do is push people out of your life. You have a track record of this. 
I could rattle off names and listings, but it doesn't matter. I think you probably know that this is something that you do on a routine basis. In one of your writings, you said that most people push you away because they find you abrasive to the skin. I saw that, I felt it, but I never pushed you away. I accepted that was who you were and just took it because that's what friends do. But apparently you don't know the golden rule. Apparently you don't know how to be a true friend. And I don't want to believe that. Tell me that's not true. Talking with Smitty, I, you know, he knew the situation, the health shit. He's helped out. And he has said, you know, from his observations of you, he's saying, Eric, maybe she has a weak character. Julian, I don't want to believe that. Tell me you don't have a weak character. We should talk, Julian. We really should talk. And I'm not going to do it via text, via email, versus via social media, or even a phone call. I'm owed. I deserve some FaceTime. Our friendship deserves that. And, you know, Julian, if the worst really is the case, if the worst really is true and you've just been like, oh, fuck Eric, fuck him, he disrespected me as a lesbian, which is bullshit, then we need to talk about the phones and your kids being on my plan. Uh, you need to buy out the contract, pay the full price for the termination fee, which means you have to buy the phones and then pay the termination fee. It's the right thing to do, Julianne. But I'm willing to, to talk and say, this can't really be real. You can't really be doing this to me. And yeah, I'm using those words intentionally because it is what you are doing to me. Because everyone I've talked to who knows the situation and every lesbian I've talked to said, I have done nothing wrong. Many lesbians that I've spoken with have actually said, based on the timeline of you coming out and your behavior and everything that they're hearing, they're not convinced that you are convinced of who you say you are. Meaning, they're not convinced you believe you're a lesbian. This is not coming from me, Julianne. This is coming from gay women. And I have been so careful in how I've worded my questions and what I've said to speak only factually so that I didn't give biased answers that would just feed into what I want to see. I wanted the real deal. I've been very careful about that. And I don't want to hear you parroting anything that Sarah told you. I don't want to hear you parroting anything from anyone because I'm questioning, Julianne, who you are. Because I've seen you take things from other people and try to turn them into yours. Do you have a true sense of who you are, Julianne? Do you have a true sense of self? I'm hurt, Julianne. I mean, hurt and angry, but angry is just the lazy person's way of expressing how hurt they are. I'm hurt. I am so hurt. And I didn't deserve this. I still don't deserve this. And the thing is, Julianne, I want to believe. I'm still having faith in you and the friendship. And all the things that you said to me, there's a story in this. This will make us stronger. We'll get to a better place. I, I've got to believe that because your friendship means a lot to me, man. I mean, it really does. 
And this has been a very, very, very challenging six, seven, eight weeks with the health crisis, the onset of the health crisis, you abandoning me, being cut off from all communications, not knowing what the hell's going on, all while trying to keep my, you know, get myself healthy, trying to work out insurance issues, with the, uh, getting my doctor tests, getting the orders for the MRI, and the neural workup to see how the, the, the lesions have affected me, the brain lesion. The brain lesion probably explains a lot of the emotional swings, Julianne, but you're not willing to listen to that. Nope. Nope. I disrespected you as a lesbian, which is bullshit. That's utter bullshit. And Julianne, I'm tired of you playing the, the helpless little waif, the poor petite waif in the woods. That is only pulled out, that is a card you only pull out when the narrative doesn't fit the one you've created in your head. I've seen you do this before. I've seen you then push and strike out at me in a vicious way, in a detrimental way. I don't know that you've ever really thought about anyone other than yourself, Julianne. And I don't want to believe that about you. I don't. I really don't. I miss my friend, goddammit, and that doesn't make me a weak man. And if you look, my friend, I have respected your wishes and what you've asked for. I have done the work. But for what? I get you dropping text bombs that are hurt, that just hurt me to death. And then when you drop them, you say, I don't want to talk about anything, but here's my point, here's my stuff, here's my shit. That is so unfair. And you know, what you've done to me, I don't understand it. Why you've cut me off? I've been over backwards for you and your kids and your family. And it was all because I, I love all of you. And I'm a good man. I am a good human being. I've been trying to find a place to live in Santa Fe. You know, you wouldn't have your house in, in, in Santa Fe if it weren't for my efforts. You wouldn't be living there if it weren't for my efforts. You know, you didn't do this move on your own, Julianne. You did it on the backs of others. Tell me you're not a user. Tell me you're not a taker. Tell me you're not a manipulator. I never saw you being a manipulator in any overt way, or a user in any overt way, or a taker in any overt way. But I'm starting to see that maybe you really are some sort of user and taker and manipulator. But I don't want to believe that. But how can I not believe that when there's no communication? I miss you. I miss the kids. I wish you'd talk to me. I wish we could save our friendship. Because I think our friendship is worth it. So it's time for another entry into the uh, the podcast. Um, you know, trying to work through some very difficult emotions um, has always been my Achilles heel. And this situation that I'm in is certainly the most unique 
in my life, in my experience. Um, my former, what appears to be my former best friend, uh, I met a year and a half ago, well, actually a little longer. And our friendship very much grew. Um, she's a lesbian. And she was going through some rough times as she had just come out. She was going through a divorce. And as she claims, she was being in a very controlled situation by her ex-husband and a very challenging financial time because he was very controlling with money and she had no money. She claims he was a terrible provider, uh, things of that nature. You know, 10, 15 years ago, I was a horrible human being. I was a liar. I was um, not the best human being one could be. And I took it upon myself to really change and make myself to be the better person, you know, a good human being, not do what I did in my early adulthood. And where my best friend is concerned, where Julianne is concerned, I did everything I could to be the best friend and best person and even best man that I could be in that friendship. Uh, I, I practiced brutal honesty. You know, having to confess to hers, you know, some of the, the shit from my past, as well as just making sure that whether it hurt or not, I had to be honest with her about everything. And I thought we had a relationship that was built upon that level of honesty. I was uh, in New Mexico, but I had to be back in New York to tend to some family matters. My health issues, too, were troubling. She was still in New York State. So a lot of our friendship, you know, at first, yes, it was face-to-face, -face and it was slow, but it was a friendship. Um, I had no romantic feelings for her. I knew she was gay, and I just thought she was a cool person. I came back to, well, I came out to New Mexico, and uh, we continued to talk and text slowly, but our friendship was growing. I had to go back and you know, tend to parents. While I was out here, too, I had a co-worker. She was gay. And I thought, geez, it's too bad there are 2,000 miles between my friend Julianne and them because I thought they would be a great pair. Well, they, the, my co-worker, she asked me for Julianne's number. And they started texting from 2,000 miles away. And it got hot and heavy. And Julianne then decided to come out and pay a visit. Well, she kind of... Decided to pay a visit. She said, you know, oh, I'm going to come out and pay a visit to me. But I knew it was, you know, to see Sarah. But again, still thinking that we were best friends, I didn't doubt anything. But I could see she was getting in way too deep, way too fast with Sarah. And Julianne ended up getting very hurt. But looking back on everything now, I can see how much I was being used. Um... Regardless, Julianne went back to New York, but she knew she had to get out of central New York. It was toxic for her. And she had fallen in love with New Mexico. So she decided she was going to move here. Well, her move here was challenging for both of us. She was in constant crisis, daily crisis. And for a, year, a good year, if not longer, I was her consistent rock her support, 
I was there for her in all conditions, whether I wanted to or not. I sacrificed because I thought in my naivete, that's what best friends do. And I truly wanted to see her happy and flourish. And she had, she has three kids that I became very attached to. So she was moving here. Well, I took it upon myself to help her find her home, you know, rental home. At great personal expense. And I didn't think twice about that until now where I look back and I see how much I was used. Or I feel used. I was making trips down to Santa Fe to do walkthroughs of properties she was interested in. I'd do FaceTime so she could see the property. She would not be in the house she is today if it were not for me. Hell, she would not be in New Mexico today if it were not for me. And I regret that. I wish she wasn't here. See, about a month ago, a little over a month ago, I started getting very sick again. I got hit by a Lyme disease several years ago, went chronic, and uh, when things started to, to really get bad, I, you know, there a few weeks ago, it didn't seem like Lyme, although mine went chronic. The symptoms didn't seem like Lyme. I was losing weight ridiculously fast. I was scared. I had brain fog, the likes of which, I mean, I couldn't think my way out of a wet paper bag. I was scared. Ended up in the ER. Julianne and her father actually drove up from Santa Fe to Taos to, to see me in the Taos hospital. We were unhappy with that hospital, so she forced the issue, drove me down to Santa Fe to St. Vincent's, where they didn't find anything. This was what was troubling. I ended up uh, staying a couple nights there with her uh, on her sofa. Came back to Angel Fire and then um, ended up having to go back down for work. But while I was there, it got worse and I got very sick again, like ridiculously sick. And I was still losing weight and I uh, was taken to ER twice. And then I was on her sofa and the doctors were testing me for everything. Well, we, I, she and I went to the doctor and they were ordering CAT scans of the chest and abdomen. And I asked what the purpose was, and he said, to check for pancreatic cancer. That's a death sentence. It scared the hell out of me. My brain was malfunctioning because of the Lyme lesion that I did not know was you know, going on. We scheduled the CT scans, but I was still wrestling with insurance. So that's another issue. It's going to be in, I think, three days. So I was back on the sofa. She would not let me drive. She would not let me drive home. She would not let me drive at all. She's like, no, you're staying here. If it gets bad, we'll find you know, some space for you, but you're going to be staying here. You're not going to work. You're going to stay. Yeah. And this all coincided, too, with the first day of school for her kids. It's a big move, going from New York to New Mexico, starting in new schools and their kids. It's stressful. It's terrible. I'm sick as hell possibly dealing with what looks like could have been pancreatic cancer. She then said that we cannot wait for those tests. We need to go to the hospital, be admitted, get them done immediately. I did not want to do that. She forced it. So I was dropped off at the hospital. She came to the room and then she left. I have not seen her since. She abandoned me. She sent me a few texts. They were all very terse and they dismissed me. 
This was supposed to be my best friend. And when she dropped me off at the hospital, she was leaving. I thought she was going to be coming back. That's what she said. And I was scared. And my brain was malfunctioning due to the lesion from Lyme disease. So as she was leaving, I told her, Julianne, I love you like I've loved no one else. I cannot define this, but you have become the most important person in my life. I love you. I'm scared, but I love you like no other. And I'm saying that because I didn't know if I was going to get another chance. I know that sounds dramatic, but that's where my brain was at. And also because that was truly how I felt. But it was important to note that I was saying that to her as a friend to a friend. And the love that I was referring to was friendship love. But she made wild assumptions. And she said I disrespected her as a lesbian by saying that. She said, and that was said in a text. A text that said, this is what's troubling me. I don't want to talk about this now, but here's all the things that are troubling me. But then she asked me, you know, she's like, I don't want to talk about this now, effectively shutting me down to say anything or defend myself. And I respected her wishes. All this while I'm being tested for pancreatic cancer. Turns out it was not pancreatic cancer. It was um, as best as anybody can figure. It was the Lyme flare-up. The lesions on the brain from the Lyme. Causing a perfect storm. It's been weeks now. And there's been no communication with her. She wanted to know how I was doing in a text about four or five weeks ago. So I, or no, about four weeks ago. So I sent her a text saying, you know, this is the situation. And then she just simply said, oh, good. I'm glad they looked for that. I hope you have a quick and speedy recovery. That was it. Very cold, very terse, very distant. Got another one like that after I said something else about my health. Just another one. I'm trying to work through these emotions. I do know that at no time was she disrespected as a lesbian. Back in April, I went back to New York to visit family, take care of some family things, and to help her begin getting her old house ready to sell. We went out, and I had developed feelings, romantic feelings for her. But because we had this, this open line of honesty and open communication, we went out, we had dinner, and at dinner I told her, hey, look, I know this can never happen, but... Not only do I love you, I have fallen in love with you. It's mine to deal with. I'll figure it out. But, you know, her behavior, she, she was like, oh, don't, you know, this is, you know. She knew that we were okay, but we went and then started looking for some lights for the house at Home Depot. As if everything was okay. And then she just completely cuts me off again. She's done this to me too many times now. And then she, we finally talk and she was saying that, you know, hey, look. we'll get our friendship back. And we did, or so I thought. Because she was planning to move, and my, for the, I would say a good three and a half months, I, it was almost daily phone calls to talk her down from panic, from stress, from scared, from fear, from her daily crisis. Plus she wanted Sarah, and Sarah was going back and forth, and Sarah cheated. Even though they didn't have a relationship, Sarah was sleeping with other women, and that just pushed Julianne over the edge. And I was there for her through it all. Yet when I had a legitimate health crisis where I was looking at a death sentence of pancreatic cancer, she abandoned me. 
and yet I still miss the friendship. I miss our daily communications. I miss our kids. I took out a life insurance policy because I thought they were broke. I took out a life insurance policy so that those three kids, if anything ever happened to me, this was before I was getting sick, of course. Before, so if anything happened to me, those kids would have a bright and clear future. I took out a quarter million dollar policy. Julianne lived in poverty for a year. And then, or longer, so she claims, but I don't really know what to believe. At one point, I, I had told Julianne that I was buying the kids new bicycles for being out here. I work bike patrol at a resort. And I wanted them to enjoy the things that the, this area has to offer. So I, I bought them all bike, new bicycles. It's a lot of money. And while they were still in New York, she decided to drop the, you know, drop the, not drop the ball, but jump the gun. And while they were driving home one afternoon or evening, she told them, hey, look, kids, I'm actually proud of how you are um, handling the move. So he wanted to reward you with a new bicycle. He's getting you all new bikes. I didn't get the joy of seeing them, but they sent me a video and, or an audio recording. So let's fast forward to when they're out here. You know, Before they moved into their Santa Fe house, they had an Airbnb in Taos while they were waiting for the rental in Santa Fe. Julianne and I had made an arrangement you know, a time for me, we had decided on a time for me to come over and bring the kids the new bikes. And I was excited as hell. But this is so typical. I got in trouble for shit that I didn't do in her mind. I got in trouble for shit I didn't do, which was talking bad about her ex-husband, whereas we had been doing this nonstop for months. And she freaked out on me and said, you can't speak of him that way. I don't need this kind of stress. This is trouble. Oh, my God, it's my crisis right now. So the, the time that was scheduled for me to bring the bikes to the kids were always ready for some joyous scenes of happy kids with brand new bikes. She's in crisis. And she took the joy out of it. This wasn't the first time she's done this to me. She says... All these wonderful, beautiful things. But in reality, nothing ever really bared fruit. Nothing ever, not, almost nothing that she said she was going to do or we would do together ever happened. And she abandoned me during one of the most frightening health crises, crises of my life. And there's been no communication. I still haven't heard from her. So today... I've been giving this a lot of thought for many, many days now, for about a week and a half. Oh, the other thing, she asked if I could put two of her kids on my family plan, on my cell phone plan, so they could get uh, sale iPhones, you know, through the credits, through the carrier and things like that. I agree. So two of her kids right now are still on my cell phone plan. The insurance policy is still active. Yeah. I've been thinking about all that, and I've consulted with a friend and... Some people. I don't want to be bitter or petty. I really don't. That's not who I am anymore. But uh, I've suspended the two phones for a week. You know, I've had them put on hold so that they're not going to get calls to be able to text or anything like that. The kids. And I finally decided, and this was a hard decision, but I sent an email to her, to Julianne. And I said, Julianne, 
With no communications over the last few weeks, and considering the abandonment during my health crisis, one can only assume you are done with the friendship. If this is so, you need to buy out the phones and the termination fees, as it is a form of using me by keeping my, the kids on my family plan. In fact, it hurts me each time I see them on my plan. It looks like your actions have pushed me out of your life, and now I have to push you out of mine, which is not what either of us ever wanted to occur, or so was thought. The balance for the two phones, you know, just talk about the phone deal. And then I go on to say, I've been having gut-level feelings something was wrong in your dealings with me, but thinking you were my best friend, I ate those feelings and simply took the bad with a small amount of good, to my detriment. The fallout was hurt and pain and feelings of dismay at your words, not matching your actions. As you most likely are not going to change your pattern of behavior, you're going to find yourself isolated and alone here in New Mexico too. I am willing to wait to hear back from you and hear if you truly think this friendship means something, and if it does, we can revisit canceling the kids on the family plan. This is not blackmail, it is pragmatism. If you have no regard for me or the friendship, there is no reason to be tethered via the family plan and cell phones, and for you to want that seems very much a form of using and taking. I'm not going to have this conversation with you via text, email, social media, or even a phone call. Do not respond to this email unless it is a quick phone call setting up a time and place to meet, as this is not the proper forum for the conversation. I feel very played. You can rationalize however you want, but I look and see how I was used and the tremendous disinterest in me any time I ask to talk about something other than Sarah, you, or your stuff, writings, works, daily crises, etc. And that makes it appear you have no actual emotional capacity to care about anyone other than yourself. I hope this is not the case, but without any communication, and how the last two texts you did send were terse, dismissive, and very cold, what other real conclusions can be drawn? And no, you were never disrespected as a lesbian. If anything, the opposite was given, shown, and done by me for you. If I am wrong in these assumptions, please tell me I am wrong, and let's meet and talk to clear this up and regain our footing in this friendship. There are many questions I hoped would get answered that appear will not be given answers. This hurts and erodes my trust in people in general and causes me angst, doubt, and pain during a health battle where this emotional pain is not helping at all. The Lyme flare and related issues are being dealt with, but the abandonment and shunning is making it much harder. I'm willing to get a phone call from you to set up the time and place to meet for a chat. You sent texts expressing your concerns and troubles that asked for no communication back, so I ask you to respect my boundaries and request to meet for an actual talk uh, and not contact me via text, email, or other such mediums until I contact you saying it is all right to do so, or until such time we both feel we can get back into our friendship and text as we once did, with the exception being to call me to set up a time to meet. It was a hard decision to send that email. And two points in the email that need to be addressed, too, where I said, as you most likely are not going to change your pattern of behavior, you're going to find yourself isolated and alone here in New Mexico, too. New, new stuff has come to light in terms of her history and her background. Of course, in central New York, she, was, she said she was ostracized and shunned after she came out and that she was afraid to go out in public because of people who were going to... Well, it turns out she has quite a reputation of being a manipulator, a taker. And she has a pattern of pushing people out of her lives, out of her life, and of making things bad 
And, you know, I, I wonder how much of that contributed to her being afraid to go out in public in Casanova. And I also have seen and witnessed her and, you know, and listened to her, you know, confess to people that she's pushed out of her life. And I've seen her push people out of her life, even though she made a point of saying she works hard to never push people out of her life. That's her M.O. It appears that's her M.O. She used the Ukrainian orphan to get something that she wanted from her ex-husband. And when that didn't work, she pretty much just gave up on the orphan. She just pretty much abandoned it. Her. So Oksana has been another one that, but she's got excuses of why she did that. And, you know, and I bought into them. But looking back now, I wonder how much of those excuses were just that excuses. And she used me to get Sarah, to get to Sarah. I mean, she, there are so many examples of, what, of how she used me. And, you know, then she claims in the one text right after she abandons me saying, hey, I don't want to talk about this relationship stuff now because I feel like we're speaking different. We're foreign languages at each other and it's uh, accomplishing nothing. But here are my troubles. One of the things that's troubling me is I feel like you've disrespected me as you don't respect me as a lesbian, which makes me feel unheard or, you know, un, not believed, which is nonsense. I've spoken with many gay women told them the situation and I tried to speak as factually as possible so as not to bias their answers. Told them about what happened, her abandoning me. I told the, the, all the gay women that I've spoken with about this, about me telling Julianne how I loved her like no one else when I was in the hospital with brainwave pattern disruptions from the, the lesion from Lyme disease, being tested for pancreatic cancer, being scared in an existential way. And that, that she then abandoned me. And then every gay woman said, that's insane. Let's assume that the worst case scenario, which is that you did say that and that you loved her like a romantic partner, which is not what I was saying. Even if that were the case, what's the big fucking deal? And then even if it were the case, to abandon who you call your best friend during a health crisis like that, it's unconscionable. It's wrong. This is coming from the gay women, not me. So, you know, the assumptions that she made, I don't even get a chance to defend myself because I respect the, okay, so she doesn't want me to text back, she doesn't want to talk, okay. I'm not going to be that, you know, if she says that that's what she wants, then I have no choice but to respect what she wants. But, uh, you know, then I have to go on and say, listen, I don't really want to do this via text or, you know, talking via text or email or whatever. I, I feel like we, I'm deserving of a face-to-face -face chat over tea or coffee. I don't think that's wrong. And I'm, you know, saying to her after I emailed her this today that, uh, no, you have, you've expressed your boundaries while I'm expressing mine. I'm hurting. I miss my friend. I do. I thought we had a special friendship that the rest of the world just would never understand and that it was something that we cherished and wanted to really see grow. She was saying to me, while well, I'm in the hospital, that she wants 
me to be there for the kids, you know, for all, all the major things. She wants to be there for the graduation, when they learn how to drive a car, their prom night, when they go off to college. You know, she wanted to grow this friendship and, you know, she wanted me to take this role with her kids. Well, in one fell swoop, she's pulled it all out from underneath me during the most, one of the most horrifying health crises of my life. And I'm all on my own. I'm by myself, completely isolated. I have no real friends to speak to. I had no real friends to speak of in the hospital. And yet I struggled in sending that email. The one I just read you. How do you, how do you heal? How do you heal? I just, I just don't understand it. I don't understand people. I don't understand this. And I'm hurt. I hope that uh, tomorrow's podcast entry is going to be happier and bring better news. Time for another one. The emotional venting, the emotional reality. Had a very painful day. Uh, I'm just not happy with my work. I'm not happy with my work because I'm not getting anywhere. I've, I've hit the wall, the ceiling. Uh, working in intense jobs and making no money. And I'm at a point in life where I have to make real money. So I need a real opportunity to come along. This may be one of the reasons why I have been pushing to move to Santa Fe, where I can hopefully beat the pavement to try to get real work. Well, work, not real work, get work that's going to pay, where I can actually save money so I can sell or buy a house. I hope that my vacation property that uh, you know has been in my family for years that I've had on the market for, for a while, that's been on the market for a while, I hope that just sells. I hope some miracle happens and that sells. Or better, I hope some disaster hits it because it's insured for a lot. And I'd make more <laughs> if it got destroyed than if I was holding. That's neither here nor there. Just not happy. And a contributing factor to this, yes, is the fact that I'm not a kid anymore. And I'm not where I should be in life at this point in time. And I'm not happy about my, <laughs> who I thought was my best friend. Uh, I'm not happy about this situation. She has seemingly abandoned me. This is my hour of need when I was having that health crisis. Uh, you know, four or five weeks ago when they were saying that, you know, it could be a very, very frightening thing. Pancreatic cancer was one of the terms that they used or one of the things they were checking for. She deserted me then. I spoke in prior podcasts about uh, the fact that I put two of her kids on my family plan with the cell phones. And I was going to, I, I temporarily suspended their phones last two days, but then yesterday I regretted doing it and I reinstored them. And I sent an email to Julianne yesterday 
that was not biting, but also called her out on some of her shit, yet I didn't... I don't think I had spent enough time thinking of words she had said to me. I didn't mirror them. And then I didn't spend enough time thinking about them. And there could be some validity to them. However, she was supposed to be my best friend. And she literally left me. She shunned me and abandoned me at the hospital. I haven't heard from her in several, well, four weeks, three weeks, three and a half, three weeks, something like that, four weeks since the hospital. And I can see that there's a pattern of, of her being dismissive of me. And there's also apparently a pattern of her using people and manipulating people. This is secondhand information, so I cannot speak to the validity, but with the v- pattern of behavior with me, it does lend some credibility to the other uh, reports, you know, the other information that I've, I've, I've learned of. But while I was working today, and it's work is torture for me right now. It, uh, it's a horrible. I'm not where I should be in many ways. I need a miracle. And I, I don't know how to make one happen. I know you have to make your own luck in this world, but honestly, I'm very tired, I'm very beaten down, and I don't know how to make that happen. And no one's knocking on my door with a roadmap saying, hey, here's a little help. Here you go. That's not true. There was one gentleman. He left a message for me. Um, he lives here in the complex, the condo area. I have to note saying that he had been in touch with somebody who could help me with the medical bills in terms of getting, you know, help with him. And uh, that was positive. But I still, I have no idea how to get out of this situation. I really don't. Um, Anyway, I was regretting the email I sent Julianne yesterday. So I wrote another long one today and sent it to him. Trying to examine my role in this and the faults that I may have made. Trying to own them. But also trying to be honest about them. And let her know that I have thought of these things. You know, I have given some thought. And that maybe there's some validity to some of the things she said. Some of the there is no validity to some of the other things she said in as far as I can tell. Some things, yeah, I think she's correct in a couple of things. There's something underlying that I'm not dealing with. I think there's some reality to that. I don't know exactly what it is, though. And I need to examine that and figure it out. Maybe there was a part of me that was thinking she would see me as something other than the friend, which is hard to admit to you, the listening audience. I never, I didn't, I don't hold illusions that 
something miraculous was going to happen, but I didn't foresee the vociferousness and the venom that seems to be coming from her. Regardless, so, you know, I put her kids on the plan. I regret suspending them for a couple days, so they're reinstored. I still feel tremendously used. I feel like I've been played. And without communication, there's no way to figure this out. So, sent her another email this evening. I don't expect I will hear from her. And that sucks. And that's a cruel thing to do to somebody. You know, especially somebody that you called your best friend. I, uh, I don't get that. So... I'm wishing all my listeners a very fine good night, and let us all have better days tomorrow.